I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello. It is hilarious to me that today is Valentine's Day. I wish everybody a happy Valentine's Day. I actually really like Valentine's, to be honest. I actually like it better when I'm single than when I'm in a couple. Less pressure. It's more fun. Just love up everybody in your life. Why not, you know? But it is hilarious to me that today, episode 61, Codependency, is coming out because, you know, what isn't romantic? Codependency. And I find codependency really interesting. It's another one of those things that I think in our society, we toss around a lot of like, oh, she's so codependent or they're so codependent or whatever. And I don't know that we're always using the word correctly. I think sometimes we're, you know, saying codependent when maybe people are enmeshed. And I don't know how much it matters, to be honest, but I did know I wanted to talk to people about it. It's defined by Oxford. Codependency is excessive emotional or psychological reliance on a partner, typically one who requires support on account of an illness or addiction, which I find interesting. I don't know that excessive reliance because of illness, I would call that codependency, but whatever. I'm not Oxford languages. I was thrilled that Heidi reached out to me because I'm a big fan of Heidi Smith's work. You might know her by Moon and Bloom. She's a therapist, registered herbalist, and flower essence practitioner. And she's super interested in codependency. I just sort of noticed on the gram that she talks a lot about it and talks a lot about healing from codependency and narcissistic trauma and things like that. And I was always really drawn to her work and like, I'm picking up what you're putting down, girl. Heidi and Deborah Bang are frequent collaborators. They did a workshop together called Breaking the Spell of Healing Codependency. And I love the way that they defined codependency. Codependence is a pattern of needing to be controlled and or needing to control a relationship in order to feel safe. And I thought that was such a cool, simple and succinct definition that I thought is probably more in alignment with how I think we experience it. And Deborah is also just very cool. Deborah is also, I believe, a somatic psychotherapist and has done doula work, is taught yoga, just very much somebody who is also like very in it with people, much like Heidi. So obviously it makes sense that these two are collaborators. But I was thrilled that they wanted to have a conversation about codependence. So please enjoy episode 61, Codependency with Heidi Smith and Deborah Bag. It's always funny to me when I'm like so pumped to have these conversations and be like, yes, it's Monday and I cannot wait to discuss codependency. So if you both, I don't know who wants to go first, but if you want to introduce yourselves and then we can get into this 
convo. I'm very excited. Take it away, Deborah. Okay. <laughs> Hi. My name is Deborah. I'm a somatic psychotherapist. I graduated from Naropa University in 2005, so it's been a while of practice. I worked with flower essences for a long time. I was a doula for a long time, and I had a studio and healing arts center in Brooklyn three years before the pandemic, and it was a, a hub of learning and somatic arts and we Heidi and I shared a shop together we we specialized in psychological and sexual and bodily health yeah so I'm just really excited to be I'm also a mom and a wife to another wife (laughs) (laughs) hello everyone hello Anna my name is Heidi Smith and I am a psychosomatic therapist registered herbalist and flower essence practitioner. I also have a private practice. I specialize in supporting survivors of complex trauma and narcissistic abuse. And I'm also the author of The Bloom Book, A Flower Essence Guide to Cosmic Balance. And as Deborah said, we are colleagues and also co-owned Spirit Shop, which was a beautiful space dedicated to women's wellness. And this is it's a really important topic that comes up a lot for us. So we're really happy to be here. Yeah. I love the overlap between y'all's work. I'm like, what a beautiful world that you found each other, the alignment and what you do and what it seems like you're both passionate about. Like, how cool. I love that. I feel like for me, even as a tarot reader, codependency comes up all the time. And it was something I feel like people think they maybe have a familiarity with or they've heard it or they think it's maybe I think sometimes people confuse codependency with having needs and being needy, perhaps. But I was curious before we really get into it, if y'all could define what is codependency? Sure. So we are both influenced Well, one of the influences we're working from is Melody Beattie's book, Codependency No More. And yes, it's true. A lot of people assume that being codependent means you're being really needy. And a more accurate definition of that from her is one who becomes overly fixated or obsessed with controlling the behavior of other people in order to try and feel safe. Yeah, and another way that I like to feel codependency, because codependency, it really has a feeling tone to it. It feels Mm. like something in our bodies. It feels like something in our minds. And the feeling of codependency is this uh, reaching out or going towards the other and away from ourselves. And I think that that's a really important clue in as to notice So this is not just about reaching out because there's care. It is like the actual feeling of kind of, in some ways, separating from ourselves and going towards the other because whatever's happening inside of ourselves feels is so uncomfortable or intolerable. It's funny. I never thought of myself as being codependent because I tend to be more like commitment phobic and go, I go in another direction. And 
something I thought was really fascinating about codependency, just like reading about it more and learning more what it is, is that there's also this flip side of not just seeking to control people's behavior, but also wanting to be controlled to feel safe. And I realized that was a pattern I had participated a lot, especially in my like 20s and 30s, that I think that it was confusing for me sometimes to separate control from care and to really know which was which. And I think that that's something as well that comes up a lot for people. And Deborah, to your point, like when I think back to it, there was this real separation from myself. It was this real stepping out of my own energy or things like that. Um, but what makes us more susceptible to that? Or like what makes it, I think a lot of people have this attitude of like, they know they don't want to be codependent or they know, or they're like, oh, I'm being so codependent. Are there ways in which we can kind of, what is awareness we can develop if those are things that we're engaging in? Whether it's being, I, I don't know if it, either side of the coin of either we're seeking to control or we're seeking to be controlled. Well, I just want to say one thing, and then maybe had you can speak to some control versus care, which is codependency is not a dirty or bad word. Um, so I just want to also like note that, that to greater and lesser degrees, we are all uh, engaged in codependent behavior. So you're not like a codependent person. It's not like an affliction that you have that defines <laughs> who you are. It It really is something that is it's a behavior that we collude with because of various various reasons and often those yeah. reasons are that we can feel we can feel safe you know most things we do is that safe and familiar now there's a lot to question around like what is true safety but we do things because there's a sense of familiarity or a sense of control as we've spoken about that the control is to feel safe and predictable in some ways so you know, we when Heidi and I created this workshop, this is coming off a workshop we spoke about called Breaking the Spell, our intention was to open up this idea of codependency as a way to gain greater freedom and access to ourselves that feels less bound, like a spell that has got us um, locked in beliefs that aren't even true. Yeah. Yeah, so... To go back to your question, Anna, which was, wait, how do we cultivate ways to raise awareness about how to be less codependent? Is that, was that kind of yeah, articulating your question? Well, well, and I think I'm like, let's go back before we go forward. Does, to your point, Deborah, does codependency like exist maybe on a spectrum? Like, you know, because I, I agree. And I think a lot of times that people feel this this shame about things or like, oh, I've been so codependent lately or whatever. And the shame prevents them from like looking at it and kind of going like, yeah, what was up with that? Or why did I feel, was I triggered or why was I seeking safety or, or whatever? And I love the way both of y'all approach this of, of freedom, of liberation. If you look at some of these things, it's a real pathway to that. Because I do think 
that in modern wellness, it's like we're saying a lot of these terms over and over again, but not offering or it's always framed as something you need to work on, you need to address or you need to, you know, improve yourself or whatever. And it's like, actually, you can free yourself. You can feel less bound to some of these patterns or dynamics that maybe aren't serving you, which is like, I think ultimately what more of us want, you know, why I asked of how you can look for it is I was like so surprised when I realized I maybe wasn't participating in this one way, but I was participating in this other because I don't think that that is talked about as much in pop culture or wellness culture. You know, we think of more of, I think, seeking to control than seeking to be controlled. So it sounds like already by learning more about what this is on a conceptual level and having that insight that it's happening on a spectrum was helpful for you to see, oh, this is, this is what this looks like for me. And it, it actually presents differently than I thought. And it's showing up over here instead. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely something that we both got into in our presentation or class about breaking the spell. And I think when we're talking about codependency, one of the fundamental conversations we're interested in having is how to discern between love and harm. And I think that also extends into your question of like the confusion around care and control. But we really feel like this is what kind of underlies a lot of codependency. And it's normal to normalize your own experience. So most people that have been in unhealthy relationships or unhealthy relationship dynamics, they're not necessarily aware of it. And, yeah. and then this is also compounded by the fact that our culture reinforces codependence and toxicity in relationships, right? Yeah. So we need way more awareness and conversation about how we're defining healthy love and relationship. And there's not a universal definition. There's not, there's a lot of gray area. And I was listening to an old episode that you did on control and you brought up Bell Hooks's definition of love. Yeah, I love her and that book for it. I still remember vividly when I read All About Love and it sort of was shocking that by her definition, not a lot of relationships that I would have said were love. Maybe I don't think they were now, you know, and I have some people very close to me in my family that I kind of keep being the canary in their their coal mine of being like, this isn't good. This is toxic, <laughs> you know, and I've got two people that are really prone to normalization and it's yeah. tricky. And I have given both of them that book as a place to start. Hint, hint. Yeah. And be like, I can't therapize them. That's not my job. I'm not a therapist, so definitely shouldn't be doing it. Plus it's just not my role in, you know, your personal life and everything. But um, I'm just like, it makes me crazy. It really makes me, I have a hard time taking care of myself because they'll, they'll, you know, just be telling you these things or like and you're just like what you know and I understand it's not really 
I think what makes me upset is I understand it's it's a deeper thing than just whatever action we're talking about on the surface. And it right. I think it is a fundamental a misunderstanding of what love is and what harm is. And I think a lot of people think things are only abusive if there's physical violence. Mm-hmm. And it's like hopefully it's never getting to that, you know, like hopefully we can recognize abuse way before then, you know, I think I know a lot of people that I would say I've known them to be in relationships, myself included, that were definitely abusive, that there was a lot of gaslighting around it. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of dismissing and just sort of like, Oh, well, you know, and I mean, I date men, you know, it's just like, well, that's how they are. That's how it is. And Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. And I'm like, I don't know that it is. Is it though? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is it? And, and I'm just curious. Well, I want to go back to defining or if you can expand on the difference between love and harm, but then I'm also curious how y'all feel about this. Is it more of a gendered issue? Yeah. I want to just say one thing to codependency to me feels like a narrow place. So Mm. Again, it's there, there's a feeling to this experience of codependency and where when we narrow in any really parts of our lives and when our perspective really narrows, when we have very limited rules and regulations around certain things, that can be a hint into something, something is not right here. When there is the, mm. because love is such an expansive place. Health is such an expansive place. And that narrowing can be a real, um, yeah, flag that something, something is off here. And I definitely have clients all the time, and Heidi too, that often will say, well, isn't everybody like this? You know, and we'll we often speak about like just, you know, what, what happens when we normalize in a culture these codependent behaviors, which we're going to get into more. But I'm wondering, Heights, do you want to go through some of the, like the spectrum? Yeah, I think that would be good. Yeah. So the way we were explaining or offering a consideration around this idea that conflict and abuse happens on a spectrum, and then that helps us have a better understanding of what a healthy relationship looks like and then what more a more abusive a relationship mm. might look like. So healthy relationship is there's occasional conflict that comes up and there are normal issues that can be resolved. Each partner feels securely attached to oneself and each other. And there's high levels of safety and reciprocity. So further down on the spectrum, you have a less healthy relationship. So that might be unresolvable conflict, things that keep coming up again and again this underlying pattern of like a rescue and resentment thing Mm. happening. And then there's a less secure attachment. So there's more anxiety or ambivalence or even avoidance. And then you have more toxic relationship. And this could look like systemic harm. It could look like the cycle of abuse, which is also misunderstood low levels of safety and reciprocity. And then we get into love and sex addiction. And then on the most unhealthy end of the spectrum, you have an abusive relationship where there's serious physical, sexual, or emotional harm. And complex trauma expands the definition 
of trauma to be very inclusive of emotional harm because we now know that that can be really deleterious to our health. And then there's more clear victim and perpetrator dynamics. And this is where narcissistic abuse and like Stockholm syndrome can mm. can occur. And I think people don't understand sometimes. I listen to a lot of true crime, which I'm starting to have more and more complex feelings about, but I'm very drawn to it. I find it very interesting. And I think what people don't understand too in these things is it often doesn't happen overnight. I think there's this attitude sort of that like things are a bit of a tipping point or people just like woke up in a an abusive relationship or something and this idea of like, why didn't they get out or whatever? And it's like a lot of this happens over a period of time. And I think for me and like recognizing in some relationships and stuff, it's been learning to really build up my self-trust of like mm. trusting that felt uncomfortable. I'm going to honor that. I like what you said about this, the secure attachment to the self of being able to say, you know, and flag some of those things. That was one of my first thing as I was trying to heal my relationships and stuff that I was like, I should feel secure to bring up what's up, you know, like regardless of what that is, like from where you want to go for dinner to it really bothered me when you spoke to me like that, that sort of stuff. But it helped me understand, especially in one particular real real doozy of a relationship in my 20s, how much this stuff had happened over time. Because when I got out of it, I felt so lost and like, how did I end up in that? And, you know, friends are like, but you're so confident. And it's like, it happens over time. You know, like, it's not overnight. Yeah. And then it's also it happens even before the relationship even begins. Because well, yeah. this is rooted in our original wounding it's so it's also it all of course depends on our what our child rearing experience was like how attachment was um built into our system how our nervous system is wired so depending on big t traumas or little t traumas depending on one's circumstances that really is the the priming ground of how we are in relationship how our parents or caregivers showed love what is what is that 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 is where we learn from a young age of what is okay and what is not okay and then we learn and then of course as children we're so adaptable so we do whatever it takes and codependency falls into more the social nervous system and uh, part of our nervous system the fawning response or the people pleasing response where perhaps when we were growing up what was needed to keep us safe was to be the good girl or to be the peacemaker or to be a particular parent's best friend and to put out, you know, not to prioritize our own needs or to be or having a parentified relationship. So there's roots that take place early on. But of course, as adults, I think part of like the individuation process of becoming an adult is this these ways that we can notice where things come from and seek all the different ways to create greater liberation for ourselves and greater freedom and greater understanding. And that has to be in the environment of love and care. We don't change and grow unless we are also actively working on loving ourselves and being kind to ourselves and caring for ourselves and making really good choices for ourselves. Love is a very, um, it's an act that we participate in. 
and that we can do when we grow up. You know, we don't have those options as a child. We, we just don't. And so we have to also have a lot of compassion for our younger parts of ourselves that were taught how to tolerate la, um, harm or unhealthy situations. Yeah. I remember when my therapist said to me, like, when I was just so frustrated about some of my own patterns and she was like, well, something to hang on to is as a kid, you didn't have a choice, but as an adult, you have a choice and we're going to like work on building in that pause, like for you to see the choice. She's like, none of it's wrong, but it's what, what do you want to choose? And that was really helpful for me just in general, in terms of being able to navigate patterns, to really remind myself, you know, I'm still allowed to choose the emotionally unavailable man if that's what I want, but is it what I want to choose? And I can better understand my wiring. I can understand better why that's appealing to me, but I also know as an adult, it's not what I want to choose. And I think people can get kind of down and think, oh, if they have this or they have, you know, this attachment style or whatever, this sort of these wounds, like they're done for that. There's no, you know, they'll they'll never get it right or whatever. But I think it's one of the most loving and self-compassionate journeys you can go on to gain better understanding of like what your particular soup is of like, what am I drawn to and why? And how do I just develop an awareness of that? That is loving is less maybe authoritative or parental of like, you need to get this right, but more just like loving, you know, want something better for yourself. I am curious though, about what y'all's takes are on this being more gendered. I feel like women are sort of raised to be codependent in the U.S., you know? I see a lot of women where I think they are codependent and yet some of it, they chalk it up to just various things. You know, I just love him so much. Or there's all these ways that it seems like, not that men aren't participating, but, and I can't speak to our non-binary friends, but it really feels like in the U.S. that codependency is is very much encouraged within women. Yeah. When Heidi and I were creating Breaking the Spell, our workshop, we were speaking about how, we, well, what we internalize, how we, like part of the spell is the messages in society and and um also fa- like systemically in families what what we internalize as like you know we were like drinking the kool-aid of messages and individuation is actually really seeing wait a second is this actually tr- like is this true for me or is this something that i believe to be true because of, of what i've been taught and absolutely woman and i was saying telling heidi before we came on this call that i was just, I couldn't sleep last night and I was thinking about this cl- this podcast today and I was thinking about those 1950s images of the housewife, the mm-hmm. docile, the obedient, and how that was um, proliferated through advertising. It was, and so normalized, the, the self-sacrificing wife, the self-sacrificing mother. And yes, we are, you know, we are, I don't like to throw the word patriarchy around so much it is very overused but it certainly is i certainly do feel the gendered aspect to it what do you feel hides yeah absolutely i think it's built into the dominant paradigm heteropatriarchy white supremacy capitalism 
Certainly it intersects a lot with misogyny, which is so rampant. And we were trying to think of like a myth to tie into the the class um, that would be kind of universally identifiable. And we were, we thought about the, the book, The Giving Tree by mm. Silverstein, you know, that book. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, I don't know about you, but it was like a very prominent book in my childhood and Same. it was given to me and it, I like, I, I remember just, I distinctly remember feeling like there's something off about this book. Yes, hugely. <laughs> like, you know, and you're taught that like, no, this is for those people who don't know, it's this, it's about a tree who gives itself away over the course of its lifetime to a boy and the and the tree is gendered as a woman. And so at the end, it's just like a shriveled stump. And we are taught to believe that this is what this is what love is. This is what generosity is. It's it's self-sacrifice, you know, and the New York Times actually ran an article a couple of years ago, I think. And I was really impressed that they actually used the word this is abusive because that's such a that's such a warped interpretation and that is where our consciousness was that book was written i think in 1967 mm. and so now the consciousness has shifted so that we this conversation is possible which is so cool I loved in Breaking the Spell when you brought that up because I was like, yes. <laughs> and I remember also when the New York Times article came out and a lot of people I knew also were like upset to have this childhood favorite sort of oh. besmirched. And I was like, you didn't think it was fucked up back in the day? <laughs> I feel similarly as a little kid, I was like... I don't know about that, you know, like, so to be reduced to nothing is love. And I think that that's often like what I feel really separate sometimes, I think, from society or it's just difficult, I, th I think, as a heterosexual woman that I'm like, what are we telling women? It's just sort of nuts sometimes how early and pervasive that conditioning is like mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that we're starting to learn some things and be like oh like our intention maybe wasn't terrible but like whoops like that's just not the message to be sending I find it interesting that that book has endured as long as it has like I didn't realize mm -hmm. it was written in in the 60s I I didn't mm -hmm. I assumed because it was so massive in the 80s that it that, that it was maybe more not that I mean not that it super matters but it's a long time that we're yeah. like reading this to little kids yeah, you know it's had a shelf life Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that's a long time to be indoctrinating the youth <laughs> with this idea. And I do think it can be really interesting sometimes like when you are dating or talking to friends and stuff and and you realize like, oh, like a big value that person has is like self-sacrifice or how much will they, mm -hmm. like my grandmother always would say like, she do anything for me. So-and-so would do anything for me. And I was like, even as a kid, I was like, I don't know that that's the flex you think it is. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a weird measure. Why should anyone have to do anything really for you? And what are you doing for them? You know, I'm like the six-year-old, like thinking about reciprocity, but like, I do think that that stuff gets very casually thrown around in, in our pop culture. And it's like, yeah, that when you think about it, it's like, that's a really 
harmful, you know, story to be telling. I think it can be difficult for people when things, you know, like you were saying, Deborah, like a lot of why we do this is to seek safety. And are there ways that we can be, I think sometimes that desire to seek safety gets like activated. I don't feel like a constant sense of that, you know, but I feel sometimes it probably is in relationships, actually, that that maybe gets triggered the most for me personally. You know, when we start to feel that stuff sort of kick up of like a desire to seek safety, are there ways we can check in and meet with ourselves that are healthy? You know, like, is the goal to just stay with ourselves versus immediately try to go external? Well, that's a great question because, yeah, we're not like in a codependent state. Maybe some people are 24-7. We want to notice what happens What happens when we get like called triggered, like what happens when we get triggered into a codependent reaction. And often, because I'm a somatic psychotherapist and also a yoga teacher for the same amount of time, we have to go to our body to listen to the signals so a codependent reaction is often a feeling, a sense of urgency and emergency, that there's a mm. feeling in the body like there's something so urgent that has to happen now, that there's an emergency, that your, your nervous system goes on alert. It goes into a sympathetic response saying like danger, danger. And that's like an informational point. And because that's a very yeah. uncomfortable place to be, usually that's when we go into reactions or that's usually when we go towards that person and what Heidi and I really find to be very important is that sometimes healing of like the healing aspect of codependency needs to be done in relationship but it's Mm. also really important to know that it can it also we need to know to and discern when it actually has to be done just with ourselves and usually just that emergency and emergency feeling is a signal of pause and widen what Stephen Porges would talk about is your window of tolerance, widen your capacity to tolerate the discomfort in your nervous system that something is so terribly wrong that you have to reach out to this person to fix it and go back to that feeling like, okay, now I'm safe because now I've got the text message or now I've got the phone call or now I'm coming over Mm -hmm. right now. And it is a very itchy and uncomfortable place. Like when you're in that healing part where you're not in reactivity, you're not doing an action right away, you have to learn how to tolerate that feeling inside of your body that says go towards, run towards. Yeah, Hyde, did you want to say anything about that? Yeah, building the capacity to tolerate distress and regulating your own nervous system. So foundational to this and how to know what safety is inside your body, in your environment, in relationship. You know, sometimes we can get confused about what is, and going back to this idea of like being able to differentiate between what is love and what is more harmful. Um, you know, sometimes we can, we can get caught up in like punishment and reward loops, or we can think that something is love, but it's more of like a trauma bond where you're like micromanaging, obsessing, um, yeah, like not being able to tolerate any distress 
or there's like a confusion around intimacy versus intensity. Ooh, right? can you elaborate on that? Because well, I definitely think that's something I've confused. I'm sure other people have as well. Sure. So obviously, in the especially in the beginning stages of a relationship, this, the chemistry can be really strong, right? Yeah. And that can feel overwhelming. And then there's there's when that can become more of a pattern and there's a, a constant going outside of oneself to get that. And it is like, there's a lot of similarity between addictive behavior when it comes to love and sex and relationship and like drug and alcohol abuse, because it's mm-hmm. the same, it's the same neurochemicals. And so you almost need that same high that same hit to to feel a sense of connection to feel maybe even conditional safety or love but secure healthy love is not conditional it's unconditional so that's another way to think about it and there can be a lot of intensity in relationships and so yeah how to know what is within the realm of a healthy, secure one, or how to know that it, if it's more like a trauma bond or something pathological. Do yeah. you have any more thoughts on that, Deborah? Yeah, I just want to speak to that intimacy and, and intensity. Intensity there, intensity has like a provoking nature to it, that often there's a provoking that happens in order to receive that high level of attention. And mm. So part of the confusion around intimacy and and intensity is that that intensity is coming, it's coming from a shadowed place. It's coming from another place inside of us that has a need that needs to get met by the other. And so we have to figure out how to provoke in any way so that that need can get met. So, and often that need is a t- is attention or that's, you know, often couples will have fights instead of like they'll have fights in order to discharge some energy. Also couples that don't have like a really healthy active sex life will often, my clients will have like provoke fights because it brings Mm -hmm. a level of connection in some way. Like intensity Mm -hmm. feels like connection, but it's because there's an unmet need and because things are lodged more in the shadow of the psyche and not out in the open in like healthy communication where like intimacy, there's a vulnerability there. The intimacy Mm -hmm. holds vulnerability. It holds a, there's a lowering of one's defense mechanisms. With intensity, we're actually working with very strong defense mechanisms, fight responses, flight responses. With intimacy, we lower our defense mechanisms so that we can become more vulnerable and more kind of naked with friends too, friends or lovers or partners. Can you talk a little bit or either one of you about trauma bonding and what it actually is? Because I think it's another thing that gets thrown around that I'm not actually sure how one knows if that's what what's going on. Mm-hmm. Sure. So there's not a universal definition of trauma bonding, but like traits of a trauma bond would be when you are excessively worried about another person 
you're walking mm. on eggshells around them. Um, there might be some gaslighting happening. So you're having trouble reality testing what is happening in the relationship, what you remember. Mm. A trauma bond could be these periods of like conflict and then, well, it's like this, it's the cycle of abuse. So there's, there's some kind of harm that's happening and then there's an idealization phase. So maybe you're, it's being positively reinforced by something encouraging or you're being praised or given a gift. There's like some reprieve from the, the harm and then that's followed by more, more harm. And then it's just this cycle that keeps going. And some people interpret that as love, but it's actually a trauma bond because like Deborah said, it's a, it's a shadow connection. It's a wounded mm -hmm. connection. It's very contracted. It's very conditional. Yeah. Does that answer your question? It does. Something I think that's really interesting about whether it's trauma bonding or it's intensity is that, and I like what Deborah said about love is expansive, is I have felt a sense, you know, when I've encountered these things that often what I pick up and feel in my body is like this wall with people of like I'm interact, I'm not really engaging or interacting with them. And it's interesting about like the intensity. I thought like, oh, you're, you're right. Like it has, it does feel a bit like these like deflection techniques or tests or something of, but, but it's an, it's a need that they're trying to get met, you know? And I've often felt a little, or like when I've encountered these sort of things, been a little confused of like, what is happening? And I like what you're saying in terms of intimacy is, you know, the walls are coming down that you're, they're sharing, there's connection. And, you know, if anyone feels really kind of like overwhelmed by these things, or they have like no idea where to start, it's a good place to me from what y'all are saying is to think of like, does this feel expansive or does it make you feel contracted, you know, in terms of how you feel? Because I really think regardless of how maybe disconnected you are from your body or like where you're at in self-awareness or whatever, I think those are things that you can feel and pick up on. Do you think that those are things people like at anyone at any point can, can start dialing into when, when does something or in relationship, does it feel expansive versus when does it feel contracted? Hi, do you want to talk about interdependence? I feel like that would be a really good Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to just mention though, like the in first and in how we're we're cultivating awareness in the body to know what is expansive versus contractive. You know, like I work with a lot of folks that experience a lot of disassociation as a result of being in harmful relationship dynamics. So, like, yeah, I just want to like say that sometimes it can take a while to feel even safe in your body and to be able to like go in and, and, and do some investigating, you know? Oh my, it took me a decade, I think, to be honest. Like I was someone who didn't realize I disassociated, went into therapy and I was like, oh yeah, sometimes I just kind of like go bye-bye. Like I just sort of, and she was like, tell me more about that, you know? Yeah. And she's like, that's, you're disassociating. Like that's what, that's what's up. And it, it helped you stay safe. It helped you like get to where you are, but like, we got to start looking at that. And it was very wild and humbling for me, the journey of literally just feeling safe in my body, you know, and it still wow. takes work. It's still a practice. And 
I think it gave me a larger sense of compassion for all of us as human beings of how complex and difficult it is to just be a person. And it's like, I have a lot of admiration for people like yourselves who do the somatic work, you know, and have, I think, developed this fluency with with your bodies and how we sort of compare all these different things together. But I'm glad you brought that up because absolutely, like... I remember the first time going to like yoga classes and stuff and some of the cues or the like go within. And I was like, um, I hear white noise. Like yeah, I don't feel yeah. like that hasn't activated yet for me. You know, it, it can take a long time. And I think everyone, you do have to be patient with yourself if that's more what your story has been, has been less time in your body than maybe others. Like the first step I think is figuring out what does it feel like just to be in your body and to start cultivating a sense of safety because it's hard to start building. But, you know, I'd like sometimes that if that does feel difficult or like for people that I think, um, somatic or just physical things feels a little more intuitive. I think it can be helpful hearing terms like expansive or contracted. Like it's a place to start the investigation. Yeah. You know, you it's not necessarily the cure all or, or whatever, but it's a place like if you were someone like me who was like, how would I know what that feels like in my body? It's like, oh, well, I know what the word expansive means. You know, I can start with that of like, am I feeling that at any point, you know, in my life right now or whatever in my bod. Thank you for sharing that, Anna. Oh, yeah. I mean, it would just crack me up sometimes. I mean, thank God I I look at life with like an absurdist lens. But I would be like in these yoga classes or I was going to some like real, you know, like witches and like hippie stuff. And also to talking about like the vagina and being like your yoni. And I was like, I'm like still trying to like defrost this ice bod. Like I don't feel shit yet, you know, and they're like, oh, next week we're going to be offering a workshop where you can paint your cervix. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like at least a decade away from that you know that I just I think that it's like uh, I want to offer people that like that's not unusual like I think a lot of people have had experiences that have taken them out of their bods and it's a long long journey and process but but it can happen it can, it's doable you can do it it just takes a long time but also I found herbs really beneficial I love that both of you work, you know, with plants and flower essences and things like that. Like it was actually Sister Spencer who helped me with a lot of my stuff because she was like, you know, disconnection from the earth is the disconnection from the body. And that just became a little bit of a mantra for me when I was trying to deepen some of my like practice to be more embodied. And the more I did bring nature into it, it really helped me, you know, whether it was prioritizing time in nature, it was like adding more nerves, uh, herbs. Um, I was going to say nourishing herbal infusions, a la Susan Weed. But um, a lot of that stuff was really helpful. And like what Deborah said about interdependence, I would love to talk about that because like, I didn't even, I mean, it's been kind of recent that I've even heard that as a, a term, you know, and was like, why aren't we talking more about what interdependence is like I feel like we get so focused on codependence that I'm like I wish that people were discussing more what interdependence is because it seems like the goal of what we should be after you know yeah and when we were discussing how to talk about codependency on a spectrum we needed to understand what is on the other side of this polarity and Deborah and I both feel so connected to the plant kingdom and 
or the earth. It's just a natural interpretation for us to use that term interdependence. And so the way we define it is existing in reciprocity with your environment. And this is reflected back to us in multitudes of ways in nature. You know, everything in nature is part of an ecosystem and a plant has a relationship with the soil and the elements and the animals. And so interdependence is you as your own sovereign being and is your own sovereign energy system that's also in a balanced relationship with other people in all life. And, and also this idea of like relating to the different aspects of the, the whole self, you know, we're very multidimensional beings and having space for the fullness of oneself and being in a very reciprocal, not just one directional or static relationship with, with other people. It's very alive and co-creative. There's movement in both directions. And often, like we spoke about in the beginning, was that codependency can feel like a very, it has like a groove of movement from the self out constantly. And when when we exist in an interdependent relationship, it's like a it's breathing in and breathing out and breathing in and breathing out. There's more of like a a circular uh, relationship to what's in front of you. Yeah. And there's a different pace, right? There's a, there's a different pace in nature. Codependency has a, has a very particular pace to it too. Yeah. I, I like the visual. For me, what you were saying became visual of like, codependency or when I feel that like urgency you spoke about earlier, like it does feel like an arrow, you know, it's like, like just straight, you know? And I do think when things are more interdependent, it, it feels more like whether it's literally like this, the circle, or it does feel fuller. It does just feel less, I guess, directed or something like that. So I love that to to sort of think on and because I think what's difficult is that things often I think are just like energy and it can be helpful to think of the energetics of like, does this feel straight and directed in one direction or like does it feel larger and more multidirectional or things like that I think can be helpful to start giving um validation to how you feel or you know what's up versus just like labeling things Mm -hmm. before we start to wrap up is there anything else y'all feel we didn't touch on that you really want to share with people about codependency Hmm. well i I feel like we can address the drama triangle which is really such a important way of understanding when we get stuck in a pattern so the drama triangle is part of transactional analysis, which is a, like a, a section of psychology. And um, and it, it's these role, we can get into these role locks in relationships. Mm. So in the drama triangle, you have the perpetrator, the victim, and the rescuer. And these can, they can be fluid roles, but they're pretty, pretty clear roles that one can take that they're, that, that you can feel and and in transaction in, in in the drama triangle they talk about uh not as clients or patients or people but they actually talk about it as actors 
or performance mm. because it, it really is like a role or a mask that we take on that we can get so stuck into. And so at any point when we're stuck in a codependent dynamic, we're often in one of these roles. We're either in this, we either end up being a perpetrator or we're um, being a victim. So we're being perpetrated or we are uh, in a role of rescuing. We're trying to like save the victim so this can happen in dynamics of three, but it can also happen in dynamics of two, similar to what Heidi was talking about in the trauma bonding when we get into these cycles. These are very clear ways we can we can notice. And I think what you spoke about, Anna, when you when you said like, oh, even you just noticing, wow, I'm dissociating. Like I can't even feel my cervix or never <laughs> my cervix. I don't even know what my palms and my hands feel like when they rub together, you know? And it's just that that capacity to be like to have a witness, to, to just notice that is the beginning point. Oh wow, I'm really in this level of consciousness right now. Oh, I'm really I'm really into rescuing and like what happens when we have that awareness, we can create some space and opportunity to perhaps step out of that role and come back into a different way of being with ourselves. That's um, my mom does Jungian analysis mm -hmm. cool. and of well, yeah. And of course I'm a jerk about it cause I'm her daughter, but um, you know, I'm like, well, cause she'll be like, want to talk about the archetypes and stuff. And then she's been obsessed with this book, the metal passage for years and been like, I just want you to read it. And like, it, you know, it really I'll touches on it. things, that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I, so finally though, she's smart. I mean, God bless her. She's been trying to get me to read this for years and my mom brother and I are all big readers and now it's been kind kind of cute that we we've all finally quit the resisting and we'll take each other's recommendations and read each other's books so I was like okay fine I'll I'll break but she read this thing out for me about heroic thinking that really made me think about the in terms of the drama triangle like the the dynamic of being um a rescuer and it was something I hadn't thought a lot about, but like, it is so interesting how we can just, like you said, they're masks and that we can adopt them. And I think it can be really beneficial to help people be willing to do some of the inquiry just to see that, to see we all do that. We all at various times wear masks. Like we all have these, you know, modes of thinking and things like that, that we can get a little trapped in or get a little stuck in. That's interesting, you know, and to develop that awareness to just sort of go, oh, because I was a producer for many years and I was like, Oh, I was so into heroic thinking and rescuing for a while, but it's not what, if you had asked me, I would have been like, oh, hell no, I'm not looking for more responsibility. I'm not looking to take more care of people, but that absolutely was a role and a mask that I was super comfortable wearing and did really perpetuate a lot of that, that drama triangle for me there. That was definitely, there's different ways we can find ourselves in that, you know, Heidi, is there anything you wanted to add about, I feel like I'm essentially asking y'all like, what's a fun fact about codependency you want to share, but is the class breaking this book available on your site? I think people can purchase it if they wanted to watch it or are you are y'all going to do it again because I think your passion for this is it comes through and that's part of why I wanted to be like if there's anything we didn't touch upon I want you to add instead of it being almost like fun fact or, or whatever 
I don't have anything to add, but to answer your question, we are, we will probably teach this again because it's regularly requested and we really love teaching this material. So if people are interested in breaking the spell, clearing codependent patterns, then um, maybe this would be a good time to, to follow us. Um, you can check out my website, which is Moon and Bloom. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Moon and Bloom. And Heidi posts a lot, I think, of really helpful videos talking about a lot of these things. Also, your book is gorgeous. I do have yeah. it. So people should absolutely follow you. And Deborah, where can people find you on this internet um on the internet at love is juniper which was my yoga studio and my healing art studio back in the day so it's love is juniper and if you go to the website then i put all our stuff i have a, a workshop coming up in february just in time for valentine's day on <laughs> breakups on the ends of relationships, relationships which really segues nicely from the work that that we did through this codependency breaking up it's called Oh My Heart. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's so brilliant. I like that y'all are really looking at and exploring these themes, I feel like, from slightly different perspectives that I think are do open a lot more. So I'm so grateful for the work that both of you are doing, and I hope that people continue to benefit from it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I've, our priorities is really have like orbited around relationships and all the ways that we can be in relationship with ourselves and relationship with others in the most optimal and freeing way. So everything we do comes back to that. How can we have the most optimal relationship with ourselves and each other while we're alive? Um, because that's, I mean, that's, that's what takes up our days. That takes up our time is yeah. hanging out with ourselves and hanging out with each other. And so we are so committed in our private practices and in all the teaching that we do to create a way to be with each other that's uh, more loving and more interdependent and more compassionate and more freeing. Maximum love, maximum liberation. Ugh. I love it. I love it. I feel like I love that more people, I think, are getting tuned into that love, liberation, optimal relationships, things like that are not luxuries. Like there are major ways you can change your life and show up so much better in this world. It's not going to make you become the most self-indulgent person or something, you know, like it's actually going to make you, I think, show up and really provide the world with whatever it is you're here to do, you know? So I love that that is what y'all are rooted in and trying to do. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing it here. Thank you. Ed. Thank you so much for having us, Anna. Yeah, so welcome. All right. Uh, that's all for today. Thanks, everyone. Bye. So grateful to them both for sharing their knowledge. I just felt like it was really a treat for me. And I hope it's a treat for you to get to talk to people who are like so well versed and knowledgeable about a topic. So it's kind of like no matter what you 
ask them, they can answer it, which is like my dream. So I appreciate both of them for joining me today. I hope you will seek out their work and find them on, you know, the internets and attend a workshop with them or something like that, because I just think both of them, both those ladies know so much. So hope you enjoyed it. See you next week. Bye. That's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help. <laughs>